The content and discussion today will obviously and necessarily engage with the issue of child sexual abuse. I recognize that some listeners may be affected by this and some may find the content emotionally challenging. There is a range of information and resources on their website's help and support page. If you go to the independent inquiry childsexualabuse.org.uk that's iicsa.org.uk and search help. I'm joined for the third episode today with Saba Kaiser and we have been talking. I would suggest that you listen um, or please listen to the first two episodes um, of today's uh, podcast. Saba is someone that has come through a journey, a massive journey, to arrive where she is today, not as a victim, but as a survivor of child sexual abuse. She is the ethnic minority ambassador to the independent inquiry into child sexual abuse, a position that takes her around the country, the UK, to speak at events and conferences that she also organizes, co-organizes. As ambassador, her role is to ensure the voices of ethnic minority survivors are heard and that the inquiry reflects our country's diverse culture. Saba is of Pakistani origin, born and raised in Bristol, and from the age of seven was subjected to repeated and systemic sexual abuse, let down by the police and social services until she managed to get out at 15 years old when she was made a ward of court. Throughout her traumatic formative years, Saba consistently kept a journal, which she now uses to relive her experience and inform her writing as she retells her story. This is Saba's first delve into composing a full-length book with the intention of publication. A coconut signature is the true story of a Pakistani Punjabi British girl and the way Saba navigates experience of cruel sexual abuse at the hands of her family. In her words, from the age of seven, there was a shock to her system. She was a child in this house where she would play, sliding down a beautiful wooden banister, the spine of their house. Then men stared coming from a foreign land, her uncles. Her Asian background meant meant hitting was a norm. She was used to it. She identified as a child. The only reasoning that she could, that she could realize that she was being, why she was being hit. Throughout her childhood, she was trying to understand what was wrong with her and what she was doing wrong that meant she was being hit. She never understood and the hitting got worse. She had to somehow find a way to ensure her own survival, mental survival, so she didn't break and succumb to their abuse. She was fortunate to have in her first years. She was fortunate to have in her first years in a beautiful house, live in a beautiful house with a lovely garden. She found solace in her house and became it became her playground, her imaginary land, where she could exist carefree in her mind. And it was a coping mechanism. It was all the coping mechanisms that she developed as a child that ensured her survival. So we're going to pick up from there, um, as I said, with coping mechanism number three. And Saba, if you can remind 
our listeners, you know, coping mechanisms for you, what they meant, and when did they start to, when did you start to realize that you had these coping mechanisms to get you through this pain? Uh, so the coping me- mechanisms uh, started when when I was seven years old, when the abuse started. It was uh, uh, my my instant response uh, to the, the 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 new world I was now existing in. Uh, in terms of actually realizing that I had these coping mechanisms, that didn't come till a lot later, um, well into my thirties, when I looked back. Um, at what had happened to me and 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 how did I cope? Um, that I started to recall um, uh, events um, that I could I could literally um, single out um, mechanisms that I had formed uh, to try and uh, salvage. Um, any sense of normalcy for me as a child, any sense of safety for me as a child. Um, and, and in the world that I existed in, I couldn't. And therefore, I created an alternate world, uh, a world of play and imagination, um, a world where, as I said in one of the previous coping mechanisms, um, I was I was akin to Superman. I, I had special powers. They couldn't hurt me. They couldn't break me. Um, um, and looking back now, uh, well, as an adult looking back to my childhood, um, I'm quite proud of myself. Um, sometimes it brings tears to my eyes that I had to do that. Um, but other times I'm, I'm extremely proud of myself and and this is why i'm here today um with you lynn um and and i want to share with your listeners um, um my coping mechanisms and the way ways in which as a child i found uh to, to, to cope with what was happening to me thank you sarah and i just want to say that you know i'm i'm so proud of you that as a woman as a human being because this happens to men and women but as a human being a woman in this world to get to where you are today and to get through what you've got through to to land where you are right now you know i'm i'm in awe of you so we're going to go into your third coping mechanism um and i'll hand that over to you thank you lynn so the third coping mechanism is is largely about a signature that I had developed as a child and uh, not that there was much uh, need for me to be signing documents um, but nonetheless I did have a signature um, and and this signature um, created a sense of my uh, a, an individual sense uh, a sense that I had given myself as opposed to um, as opposed to how I was seen by others. Uh, coping mechanism three, it's called a coconut's signature. My family's principles of right and wrong were always using to me. I didn't understand why they're subject to change if you're a boy or a girl. Throughout my young life, I was caged in a world of prejudiced religious tradition and ridiculous convention, tied down to my family's beliefs. If someone dropped some food on the floor, they were to pick it up at once and kiss it by way of apology to Allah. Heaven forbid a chapati would touch the floor. 
When we took hold of the Quran, we would kiss it to give thanks for the only important book in our house. Living in England and absorbing the British culture, the grown-ups in my home did not make sense to me. It was most confusing as I came to learn they were not the moral beings they purported to be. The principles manifested in strict, prohibitive rules, which only seemed to apply to the girls in my family. I wasn't allowed to play with my friends from school. I wasn't allowed to talk to my brothers in a tone that was Western, too confident, insubordinate. And I must always cover my head before taking hold of the family Quran. I did not understand the reasoning for these rules, but I knew I must obey them. All the while, the abuse we were subject to went on unpunished. We put on our masks and pranced around as if we were a regular family, awkward yet conventional, contradictory yet customary. I was labelled a coconut growing up, brown on the outside and white on the inside. My coconut's brown shell was my heritage the inner whiteness shaped by the British culture I experienced and lived by outside of my home. My identity is the mix of my heritage and my culture, nature and nurture. It is my mind's signature. I love coconuts and I love my signature. When I was a child, I would write my signature on any surface I could, on books, sofas, tables and walls. The more difficult to reach, the better. We lived in a four-story townhouse with high ceilings and a wooden staircase, which ran all the way from the fourth floor right down into the basement. My mother would have the entire house redecorated with a new wallpaper every year. One time, after the new wallpaper had just been put up, I found the perfect opportunity to leave my signature. Perching precariously from the fourth banister, from the floor, fourth floor banister, I reach my little seven-year-old arms as far and as high as they will go, and I write, Saba is the best. From up here, I can see all the way down to the basement floor, a tiny slip, and I would end up sprawled out on the ground below. This was my signature, and I signed it everywhere I could. When my mother spotted the offending scribble on her newly installed wallpaper, she said, subtly amused, who wrote this? I could sense that I wasn't going to get into trouble. So with my shoulders hunched and palms outstretched, I responded, I don't know, someone who thinks I am the best. My mother smiled, she didn't tell me off. Declaring to the world that I was the best was another way I coped. I believed that my uncles were do I believed what my uncles were doing to me was my fault, that something was wrong with me and I was being punished. My external experiences were traumatizing, yet my inner self created various mechanisms where I could be safe. On the surface, my life was traumatizing. However, what my abusers did not count on was my inner core, my individual texture, staying resolute. As a child, I could not give my thoughts a secure home from where they could be boundless. Therefore, I created another coping mechanism to protect me, my signature. Even as a child, I believed it was the right of every person to be themselves, to explore their own individuality and grow. 
My family identity was formed by their religion. I knew I was not like them. I was a person of my own. I would ask myself, what is my reason? I wanted the reason for my life to be in the morning breeze. Sabah means morning breeze. My signature was to remind me that no matter what they were doing to me, they would not break me because, although a child, I stood firm. I am the morning breeze and Sabah is the best. I wanted to express my experiences, my own thoughts and intentions, a morality that was my own, not one maintained through fear of a supreme being. This I romantically coupled together with my sense of freedom, of a spirit never to be ensnared. On the contrary, to flow where the air is lucid and meaning was my own. I kept seeking, that was my signature, and I kept striving, that was my signature. Wow, signature. Um, if we were to define a signature, a signature it means identity, it really means um, this is my name, this is who I am, but we're not defined by what our story is. And I think that when just listening to that, the signature being something that was so important for you to maintain. And Saba means morning breeze. You know, if you were told that at a very young age, that probably was your saving grace. <clears throat> yes. Was your saving grace. I remember someone told me once when I was a little girl that I had the face of an angel and the heart of a devil. And as a child, that made me feel very, very um, confident in knowing that I was unacceptable, I was unlovable, I was evil, I was bad. And all this was because the woman that told me was a very bitter, old, twisted lady that didn't like me. She used to come to our house and she was my mother's friend, but she favoured my sister who had a very strong spirit and who would stand up to anything and everything and anyone, whereas I was very withdrawn. And this woman seeing me, she used to say, you know, you don't talk much, you know, you're very deceitful. But to be told something as a child, it can, it can have two effects on you. If it's positive, then it can stay with you and that can be the ground and that can be, and what I think I see here was being, knowing what your name meant, Morning Breeze. Saba became the angel. Saba became the guardian. She became the, the, the guiding light. She became all the things within your imaginary world that kept you alive, that kept you alive. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I agree wholeheartedly with what you've just said, Lynn. Um, it was a saving grace uh, being told the meaning of my name at a very young age. And, and quite uh, correctly, as you've said, uh, a signature is, is, is a person's identity, but it also adds weight. Um, to that person, uh, you know, we will use our signature to, to sign legal documents. Uh, once we've signed it, we've given it our approval, um, our our seal of approval. Um, knowing the the meaning of my name um, would would allow me to imagine this carefree breeze that flowed 
um, over everything that blanketed um, my existence, my life. And then, um, you know, as a child, I believed that I had the I had the freedom to to decide what my signature was going to be, and obviously now I, you know, my signature is my name. Uh, there's nothing else added to it. But as a child, I I, I was free to to, to choose um, what what my seal of approval was going to be, and my seal of approval um, uh, came as uh, no matter what's happening to me, no matter what you date do or say to me, no matter how much you try to hold me down because of my gender, I will not be held down. Uh, I am the best. And so, um, as I've explained in this coping mechanism, um, I didn't have legal documents to sign. I had sofas, I had walls, I had books. <laughs> and, and yeah, that's where I would cast my seal of approval around my house, um, anywhere I could. When you were thrown into, um, you talked about the Quran and religion as being a staple in the house. Um, when you were thrown into the religious aspect of your your childhood, um, and at times when the Quran was, you were you were really made to believe that this was above all everything. This was the most important thing in the world. Did you actually um, believe that? Did you feel that? Did you feel that the Quran was something that was wrong or it was hypocritical or what what were your feelings and what were your thoughts around um, and your attitude towards the Quran at that time? As a child, I didn't have any such thoughts or feelings about uh, the Quran or my religion, in fact. As a child, um, it, it was very much a part of my life. Um, it, it was it was uh, vital uh, to my life, to my existence, um, just as eating, breathing and drinking would be, um, because that's how I was raised and that's what everybody did around me. Um, I, I, I never gave it a second thought. Um, it's only as an adult, um, as a female uh, adult, that I look back um, on the experiences that I had uh, around religion within my family, um, that I cannot reconcile um, with any religion, um, not just Islam, but with, with any religion, with Christianity, uh, Sikhism, Judaism, you know, name them all. Um, I, I, I cannot reconcile with religion. But having said that, I have absolute respect uh, for individual beliefs and and individual um, um, uh, systems that, that, that govern and, and uh, will create safe barriers and and parameters around one's existence um, I, I don't um, for, for one moment um, you know look down on anyone who, who, who is pious um, just from a personal experience from a personal point of view and I'm you know really want to stress that from my personal point of view as a woman I cannot reconcile with any religion hmm. Hmm. and um, yeah I, I, I can get that I can get that um, when we talk about you know religion sometimes people will you know in their own way religion you can't talk about religion in a bad way so while while abusers that are connected religiously to anything 
you know, they're carrying out the atrocities of the physical body, you know, towards another human being and the atrocities that they're they're doing, especially to children. There's there's no excuse because I think we've got a choice. As adults, we have a choice. We can choose to walk down this path or that path. We can choose to make a decision in the moment and you know there's there's the desire of the body and we'll never get into the mind of pedophiles you know some of us will never get into the mind of a pedophile and to be honest with you um do i want to um i guess from from a therapeutic perspective i want to but i'm thinking from the mind of my child self and from a survivor as well of sexual abuse like yourself um i don't really want to get into the mind of a pedophile that really had had a choice has a choice at any particular time especially i mean okay there's the first time but the second time and the continuous times that a child is abused the, the continuous times that you were abused saba I mean when it came to when you reached the age of 15 where you said you know you were out of there what happened to your life and I think we'll go into that you know into the next episode but we want to know I want to know what happened at 15 when you were able to make that decision and define the world through your eyes to understand that even though you you knew all along that it was wrong what was happening but to get to that point where you had a choice as a young adult to actually say i'm ready to move on well research research tells us and and we do know that uh, the abuse of a child it's long lasting uh, the the abuse the physical sexual abuse may stop um at some point but the effects of that abuse uh on that child and then of course uh, the child becomes an adult is long lasting it affects every area of their lives and it did with me um at the age of 15 um which uh, you know um i have written about um i social services didn't believe that i was being abused no matter how much i tried to in my child language explain the best i could they they never did believe me um and had uh, asked a teacher at my school uh to counsel me so they didn't pay for actual professional counseling um they 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 asked a the teacher to 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 take on that responsibility um and that teacher abused me um during our counseling sessions um i was one of five girls he abused in that school um another girl disclosed in fact to a, a head teacher and a uh, necessary you know uh, police and and uh, further social services involvement had taken place um it was after that experience and now at this point i'm about 17 um that silence had finally won the barrier of silence uh that i was experiencing and trying to break as a child by trying to disclose over and over again to members of my family to to teachers at school to social services even to a to a police officer uh during an interview i kept failing in, in breaking that silence uh by the age of 17 after the the the, the teacher's abuse um silence had won silence had enveloped me and it it kept me 
kept me uh, it kept me down it, it, it kept me bound uh, for for two decades at least um, until I, I, I then again um, triumph over adversity uh, I then decided you know broke it um, it's, yeah. it's 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 a, it's a sad lonely um, horrific position to place a child and then when the grown-ups in that child's life uh, do not discern what is wrong do not act appropriately uh, do not utilize the law that is there to protect victims um, it's sad it's a sad world it's, it hurts it's a sad it world. hurts yeah i'm just talking to you now you know i don't you know i don't really want to re-traumatize you know and bring you to that that place too deeply um because this is all about coping mechanisms it's not about going back into the past but we have to go back into the past to understand where you are now and your future where where you are right now and those feelings, I think, will always be with you. And that story will always be with you. But as I mentioned earlier, you're not defined by your story. So when we come back for episode four, we're going to be, we're going to follow on with that and talk a little bit about that barrier of silence. So I think it's very important to recognize the, the story as it goes on, how you weren't heard by authorities, how you weren't heard by the police, how you were let down by not just family, but if you had people of authoritative nature that didn't listen to you, um, that, that didn't give you any support, then this is where you know those coping mechanisms really must have come in useful. So we're going to stop here and come back um, for the the last coping mechanism for. Um, but thank you, Saba, for um, this episode. And uh, how are you right now? Let me just check in with you. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm very good. Uh, I, I thank you. Lynn for giving me this opportunity um, and I thank your listeners for, for listening to me um, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely grateful and, and, and honoured thank you bless you